This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's a good thing you've got a long weekend because I've got a lot to talk about. It's episode 471 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Hopefully you're going to have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And I've got plenty for you to check out over the weekend. If you're liking to talk about so much, going to talk about From once again. i got to tell you, this sixth episode of the second season of From is massive. So I wanted to talk to Cortion Moore, who plays Ellis, and Jamie McGuire, who plays Smiley on the show. Get a couple of different perspectives on this upcoming episode. I'm also going to talk to a couple of members of the cast of iCarly because season three is going to be coming out on June the 1st on Paramount Plus. So we'll catch up with Lacey Mosley and Jaden Triplett to talk about that. Also, author Alex Segura joins me to talk about a Spider-Verse novel, Aranya and Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow. We've got Across the Spider-Verse that's going to be coming out here in less than a week. So I talked to him about this new Spider-Verse story that's kind of its own continuity, but we'll get into that a little bit more here in a minute. Also, the Flash finale happened. You know I'm going to talk about that. Going to talk about Gremlins, Secrets of the Mogwai, and even work in a little bit of nerd news, too. It's a lot, so if you're hitting the road for something or a road trip, hit play, got you covered. Don't worry about that. But let's talk about From with Cortion Moore and Jamie McGuire. We'll talk to them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Blair Redford from The Gifted, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is the episode that you have been waiting for. For season two of From Episode 6 coming up this Sunday is the big one. Trust me, I've seen it. This is the one you absolutely don't want to miss. So I had to talk to a couple members of the cast leading up to this. Let's talk to Ellis, played by Cortia Moore. Because, man, it's it, there's a lot going on for Ellis in this episode. So let's see what he had to say. Cortion, what's up, man? What's up, James? How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just going to try to talk about this without spoiling anything. Because, man, it's, ah. it's going to be a crazy ride here coming up. As a matter of fact, I want to talk about that for a second. Because Harold sent out a tweet after this week's episode, episode yeah. five. And he said that this upcoming episode is a game changer. So I got to ask yeah. you, man, is episode six the biggest game changer of the series to date. Oh, without a doubt, man. Like without a doubt. I mean, look, I, I, I keep in con- I keep, you know, in touch with the Reddit, with Twitter, with the cast, with some of my friends who are watching it. And the big thing that people keep saying is like episode six, man, I hear episode six is going to be crazy. And anything that anyone has heard so far is literally not even the tip of the iceberg. It is without a doubt, in my opinion, the craziest episode that we've shot out of both seasons. It's, it's going to be hard to beat. So as we try to tread tread carefully here and not spoil anything, I got to ask you, just for you specifically, how difficult were these next couple of episodes actually for you to film specifically? So for me in particular, they were really challenging. And once people see it, they'll really understand why. It's a little scary for me to talk about, 
But man, look, I, I'll say this. I could not have been happier to have Jack Bender behind the camera and in the director's chair for six in particular, because it is just so much. It's so big and it's so important to the story of From. I think that's the big thing. Is it as crazy as it is and as much crazy shit goes on, it really is that sh that episode that changes everything. So it was hard to, you know, to be able to live up to the writing and to be able to to keep up with the stamina that people like Jack and Harold have. But I think I think we all pulled together and I know I just I slept extra long every night, you know. I bet you did. How much of that did you know was coming as you're going into filming for this episode? Did you guys kind of have an idea of what was going on? Or is it one of those Nothing. things where because I know you guys kind of get the scripts as you go. So was it kind yeah. of a big surprise of, oh, so this is happening today? Dude, I think we found out maybe like two days before we started started shooting episode oh my six. Gosh. I think it was five and six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, so we started shooting five and six at the same time because we block shoot, right? So you do two episodes at a time every few weeks. And we got five, which I, people have, have finally seen, which is a really great chance for us to kind of check in with all the characters, mm -hmm. especially now that Sarah's back in town. And we're all like, okay, so we kind of have our bearings now. We've checked in to see where everybody is. What the hell is going to happen at the second half of the season? And I think it was like two days before we went to camera on episode six, we got the script. And I could not, I literally could not believe what I was reading. And I don't know if you've spoken to Ricky, but Ricky and I have this thing where every time a new episode comes out, he's one of my best friends. And every time a new episode comes out, we get together and we read it. And we were literally jumping around my apartment like, oh my God. God, are you fucking serious? Are you kidding me? This is crazy. It was, it was, it was just a shock. It was a shock to me, and I really know it's going to be a shock to the audience. In more ways than one, for sure. But in, in all oh, this chaos, Cortian, we've oh. got Ellis and Fatima. It's one of the one of the few feel good stories that we actually have going on right now. How special, man, is that relationship? And how the hell do you plan a wedding in this town? Man, first of all, Pega is just such an astounding actor. And being able to work across her has been probably the greatest gift I've had since I joined the cast. You know, working with legends like Harold, working with, you know, who's now one of my best friends, like I said, Ricky, that's all been great. But for me, the bread and butter has been working with someone who I personally am deeply in love with. And as you know, Ellis is just completely head over heels with. That relationship is really special to me. I think that is the, the at its core, that is the heart of who this guy is. He's just in love and he's just trying to he's trying to stay alive for that very reason and i don't know wedding planning is hard man i think we you know maybe got julie and donna helping us arrange some things getting some flowers from the garden and it's nearly impossible but i hope that they can figure out a way to do it i hope you, you and know. me both man you people and me have both. Some speculations and uh they don't think it's going to go too well. So I guess they'll have to tune in to find out. Yeah, we'll have to definitely wait and see for that. But we did, yeah. like you say, get to see Sarah come back. And yeah. Ellis was actually one of the few people that, that knew before anyone else did that she yeah. was back. So that that's kind of because he and he backed his dad's play there. So how far do you think Boyd and Ellis will go to protect one another? To protect one another, I think there is no... There, there's no end to their loyalty. There's no end to their love, especially on this new you know, relationship that the two of them are, are kind of still exploring. It's it's still really early. I mean, they've kind of had a rebirth and like a whole re, you know, tread on, on what it means to be father and son, but also what that means in a place like this. So, mm. you know, when it comes to something like the tough decisions, like keeping Sarah a secret, although it pisses Alice off, although Alice is still so hurt because he is still hurt. He's still a kid and he still has no idea how to actually handle these emotions. But on top of all of that, or really underneath all of that, there's that thing you just have with the people that mean that much to you. So he just laid off, you know, and and yeah, we'll we'll get into even some of that in episode six. And and uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, man. Six. Everything just comes back to six. It, it really everything does. It really back. does. Really yeah. quickly, before I let you go, one word to describe the vibe at Colony House right now. Shit. <laughs> it's fucked. Everything's fucked, man. It's just nuts. <laughs> I mean... Like just between Randall coming in and trying to fuck with our whole our whole thing, you know, and our fearless leader Donna is, seems to have some fear in her, and it's just it's just shit. But it's still, in my opinion, the best place to live because at least houses aren't crashing down. So, yeah, that is very true. But you guys will get yeah. to see it all when from is every Sunday is must watch on on MGM Plus anyway. But this week especially, don't do not miss this. Watch it. Um, right when it comes out because 
it'll get spoiled for you for sure. Cartier and more, man. Thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, brother. So here's something that you might not expect. We talked to a lot of people of the town. What about the monsters themselves? Yeah, let's check in with Jamie McGuire, who plays the creepy and scary Smiley. Let's see what he has to say about this this upcoming episode. Jamie, how you doing, man? Pretty good, thanks. How about yourself, James? Doing really, really good, man. We just need to find out more about you, more about your character and stuff like that. Because, I mean, beyond, honestly, beyond the first few episodes, we haven't really seen much of you and much of the monsters. So why do I feel like, Jamie, this is setting us up for something huge that's going to be coming for the last part of the season? Oh, I'm not sure. Can't really say anything yet. All I know, all I can say is just keep watching. And I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Oh, I have no doubt about that. Now, we oh. do know one thing. We know the monsters sleep underground. We found that out early on in the season. We saw them in the tunnels. We don't know much else beyond that, though. So will we start to maybe learn a little bit more, at least, about them in this latter half of the season? You know, I'm not really sure about this yet. So I right now I'd say I know as much as the audience does. Because you guys, I've talked to a lot of the other members of the cast and you guys kind of get the scripts as you go. So may, do, you, do you really just maybe not know where things are going at this point? No, I'm not really sure. And I kind of like it that way because every time I see a new episode, I'm, I'm all the more surprised and excited to see it. We do know that we've got episode six coming up this week and i don't want to do any spoilers of course for that but it's a huge episode a couple of the other members of the cast say it's a game changer so how just how crazy was it shooting that episode did it kind of feel that epic on that day it did it really did the whole time i was shooting it was so exciting well actually every day on set was exciting but that scene in particular was it was just amazing i feel like for you jamie smiley to me at least is the most recognizable of all of the group of the monsters to me. So how do you prepare yourself to basically play a character that goes from leave it to beaver to a demogorgon in like two <laughs> seconds? How, how do you do that, man? Well, just uh, put on the grin and try not to freak people out too much while we're not filming. So just put on the grin, smile, be creepy, and away we go. Now that you've been playing this character for, let's say, a season and a half, because of based on what we've seen, that smile, man, are you consciously aware of that now, like in public and things like that, where you kind of try to, okay, I don't want to do it too much because now people are recognizing me basically for this. Well, the smile on set, it's always how I've naturally smiled. I just find sometimes when I'm filming or with the makeup on, what have you, when I do smile, I know it's freaked out some people. So it's like, okay, maybe don't make direct eye contact with them right away. Then with the hair and makeup on, just smile, relax, like, it's like, oh, Jesus. Smile. It's like, oh, okay, it's Jamie. It's cool. It's cool. Everything's fine. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Because even my even my family and friends who have been watching the show, I just got to remember, it's, they've never followed much of horror, but I just told them, okay, sorry in advance. If I freak you out, just remember, it's me. Relax, right? So I even have people, and this is family and friends I've known basically my whole life. They're even up to the screen like, <laughs> like just holding their hands up just looking it's just like okay it's me it's like okay it's jamie it's jamie and i even had one person tell me they actually told me okay i'll watch it because you're in it, but it's going to be broad daylight and all the lights are going to be turned on sure is there enough, any I other way to watch this show honestly <laughs> <laughs> no fair enough then again this person wasn't too used to horror but for even those who aren't say the biggest horror fans, I would highly recommend this show because it's just such an excitement and a thrill. And there's more depth to it too. It's just so amazing. I'd recommend the show to anybody. It is definitely so many of those things yes. for sure. Now we know the fans are called, they call themselves the Frumily and they stand firmly against the monsters, Jamie. I'm sure that you know this. <laughs> Playing the bad guy isn't easy. So What's the fan reaction been like for you on social media and things like that? When I've looked at certain comments and read a few things, it's really been positive. So it's it, it's just been amazing. It's, oh my God, OMG, Smiley, we love you. It's like, Jamie, you're awesome, that sort of thing. And and to that, I just can't thank everyone enough for that. From the Frumley cast, crew, and all the fans, I'm, I'm just in awe of it. It's, and I can't thank them enough. It's been pretty good. Actually, it's been amazing, I should say. No doubt about that. You've gotten to work with a lot of great members of the cast. And usually when you're on screen, it's it's intense. So that, that has that lends itself a little bit. So who are some of your favorite people to work with on the cast? Because I feel like you've had so many great scenes already. Oh, I 
I haven't worked with everyone on the cast, but everyone that I have worked with, I've enjoyed being with and shooting with and even just talking with Offset. And I always find the transition funny because Offset, I'm not freaking people out, despite how I might look, but it's, it's just how it's so laid back, chill. We're just having a, we're just shooting the breeze. And as soon as the camera's rolling, it's like, oh, okay, never mind. So yeah, as soon so, as that camera comes on, it's like time to start freaking people out. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's showtime. <laughs> there you go. Really quickly, what's the if you could pick one mystery that you'd want solved on this show, just as a fan, what's the one mystery you'd want to find out more about? You know, I'd say I would have I'm that curious. I'm not sure if I could pin it down to just one. I just can't wait for the future episodes to air. Because every I find every time I finish an episode, it it makes me want to, it keeps making me want to see more and know more. So I can't really pinpoint it to just one question. It's really, ooh, what happens next? I can't wait. That describes the show perfectly, which is why you should be watching from every Sunday night on MGM Plus because there are so many great things to come, so much great stuff from this guy as well, Jamie McGuire. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. No worries. Thanks for having me, and great meeting you. And you guys, trust me when I tell you, and I don't say this often, this upcoming episode of From, episode six, it's going to air this Sunday, is one that you do not want to miss. This is the episode. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you what happens, but let me just tell you this. This is the episode where something so epic happens that you're going to have a hard time not talking about it for the entire week. I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there right now. So From airs every Sunday on MGM+. Plus. Get on that this Sunday as soon as it comes out. Trust me. Again, thank you so much for Cortion Moore and Jamie McGuire for joining me this week to talk about From Up Next. Let's talk about the series finale of The Flash. I'll get into it with spoilers as well next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Richard Harmon from DC's The Flash, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Every good run must come to a close. My spoiler-filled review of The Flash series finale and actually the finale of the Arrowverse. Man, I get Superman and Lois. There's still a connection there. It doesn't feel like the official end of the Arrowverse, but I don't want to spend too much time on that because I can always talk about the Arrowverse another time. So a lot of spoilers for this finale specifically and actually the the episodes leading up to it as well because I, I just want to say this before I even get started. I want to say I loved The Flash. I thought as a whole, it had probably the best run of any Arrowverse show as far as consistently being good. Was it good all the time? No, absolutely not. But what show could be over the course of nine seasons, right? I mean, they certainly had their ups and downs at times, but way more ups than downs and characters that I loved and so many stories that I loved. And, And, you know, at some point I'll do a show on that and we'll just talk about The Flash or I'll do a TikTok live or something. We'll just talk about The Flash. But... I will. I just want to get that out of the way. I love these characters, especially the main cast. Did a fantastic job with their characters. And this is just a show that I've loved that I'm going to miss immensely. And that's one of the reasons I was so frustrated by this finale. I've got to, I've got to be honest, as much as I love these characters and this cast, even the writers, I am so frustrated by this finale. And that uh, tends to happen with series finales just in general, right? But again, I don't want to go down that road because I want to talk about this one specifically. And one of the reasons I'm frustrated is just this final season as a whole, it felt like this entire end arc that we had in these last four episodes was rushed. It looks like, it was almost like they realized at one point they're going to have to write themselves a finale. It just, it did, and I'm not saying that's what happened, and and I have no knowledge of that, that that's what happened, but that's what it feels like. It feels like, well, well now we got to end this thing. Because if if it almost seems like if you knew initially in season nine, would you have done some of the stuff that you did in the beginning of the season? Was there some good storytelling there? Yeah, there was some good storytelling, but not... If you were going to go with this Eddie Thawne arc, right? You bring Rick Costnett back, which which I completely agreed with, by the way. Having him be the avatar for the negative speed force, I thought made so much sense. So that's not what I'm frustrated about. I'll get to why I'm frustrated overall here in a second. But to me, I was so happy with that decision and what they dis- and what they wanted to do. I'm like, why wasn't this the arc for the entire season? Why did we do all the stuff we did 
in the beginning. I understand what you why you did what you did in the first couple of episodes anyway. You know, Barry makes the journal. Iris gets upset about it. All that pressure and all this stuff. I get that. I get that you have to do that. I understand that part of it. The first couple of episodes, at least, I would still have done that. But everything after that should have been this. This should have been something that played out through the entire season because it was a story that made so much sense. It would have given more depth to the story. It would have added a little bit more to Eddie Thawne's character. Maybe you even have some interaction between he and Eobard at some point because you know that the disdain that Eobard had for him and still had in this final episode too, by the way. So you knew all that was happening. You could have given that so much more. Instead, you rushed it completely rushed it in not just this episode, but the episode before it. This storyline is one that I didn't realize I needed until it started happening. And then when it did, I'm like, well, now they got to wrap this up quickly. I thought if they would have just done this from the beginning, then it would have been so much better. You could have still done the whole arc between, you know, Chester and Allegra. You could have still done everything that you did with Iris and Cecile and Joe. You could have done all that, still done all that, and still focused on this as your main story for The Flash and and for Eddie Thawne and this, and this whole dynamic. You could have still done all of the things that you did leading up to this point while you were still telling this story. You didn't have to have any of this other stuff, in my opinion. This is the story I wanted, and I only got it for basically a couple of episodes, and that's the thing that what one of the things that frustrates the hell out of me. Not only that, I understand how powerful they decided to make Keon. I and that's fine. I'm not upset about that. And the same thing with Cecile. I feel like we level jumped with Cecile a little bit, but I'm still fine with that because she is at the end of the day. I, that's a very powerful character. A lot of and a lot of amazing powers that she does have. So I get it. But at the same time, you bring back Eobard, you bring back Godspeed, you bring back Savitar, you bring back Zoom, you bring back all these characters, which again, finale time, let's, you know, it's like the it's like fireworks. Let's shoot them all off and see what happens. Okay? I get it. But at the same time, you bring back all of these big bads, not just random characters, big bads from your show that took so much effort to dispatch in their previous seasons. And you dumb it down by making them very easily dispatched in this finale. There is no way Allegra should have been able to handle Eobard Thawne. There's no way that Zoom should have been able to be handled that easy. Godspeed as well. With all due respect to Nora, having Savitar be dispatched that easily and that quickly, and her having that, you know, props to her for having that idea. But at the same time, you got rid of you, you got rid of Savitar so easily when it was such a hassle. And it was one of, you know, one of the most dangerous stories that the Flash ever went through, right? So to to let those these characters go that easy. You're almost, you know, disrespecting your previous stories by doing that. I get they're not they're not the main part of the story. They're almost a distraction to what's going on with the negative speed force. And maybe you could even say, well, you know, they didn't have their full speed and blah, blah, blah. Okay, if you want to go that way, fine. But at the same time, these are still major characters that deserve better. And if you told this story throughout the entire season, you could have given me that. Right? I'm not sorry that we got Captain Boomerang and some of these other characters come through this season. I'm not sorry about that. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the Red Death arc. The second the Red Death arc was over, which was what, episode four, episode five of this season, something like that, that still gives me eight episodes to tell this story, which they didn't do. We get four episodes. And yeah, an extra few episodes would make all the difference in a story like this. So I'm not even saying that I didn't like the episode. I did. I know it doesn't seem that way, but I did. What I'm saying is I liked it to the point where I wanted more of it. I thought it deserved more of a platform to stand on than it was given. And it seemed like they were they were said, well, guess what? We're cutting you off at 13. So you're going to have to finish it then. You know, it's like you go in thinking you've got 20 episodes and then all of a sudden you find out you got 13. 
Now, whose fault that is or how that happened, I don't know. How much they knew about that, again, I don't know for sure. All I can tell you is that this is a story that should have been given a lot more time to play itself out than it did. And if it did, I think it could have been epic. I think that this is a finale that if you eventually get to this point, you can... Now, if you eventually let these villains go down after giving them their due, then I don't have a problem with that. Because all of these characters have gotten more powerful than they were when they first faced off with these villains. Okay, so that you could make that make sense by letting each villain have their due. Like, let Zoom have his day. Let Godspeed have his day, and so on and so forth. Showing that these are still formidable, powerful villains. But at the same time, this Flash team is also leveled up, and you can understand why they'd have a little bit of an easier time. Not this easy of a time, though. Especially in such a short manner. So, and again, even the negative Speed Force... Having that now was was that a formidable character? Yeah, but then you just have Jay Garrick show up and be like, oh, there goes your speed, buddy. Really, really? I know he siphons it back, and eventually, you know, Barry's got to talk him down, and that's the only way. And that's you know that that was a beautiful part of this finale, having Barry have to talk Eddie down and make him give it up, sort of thing. And then that was the only way, and that Barry used the heart and soul of Barry Allen to win the day. There's something to be said for that. I liked that they went that route, actually. So that didn't upset me. What upset me, again, I'm going to say this one more time, is that this is a finale that deserved more time to play out than it got because you throw it all together and that's what it felt like. It felt thrown together as opposed to letting this play out long form the way it should have and then I can respect the ending a little bit more so while I it while ultimately I understood what they did I wished it would have gotten more and then and, and another reason for that is okay so you've got Joe finally proposes to Cecile at the end of this final episode and then we're introduced to these new flash characters you know Barry paying it forward spreading the love whatever you want to call it to create more heroes that maybe didn't ask for this, but that's another that's another story for another day again. But like, so now we're never going to see that. We're never going to know where that goes. And the whole Cecile thing, it's like, so this is supposed to be Barry and Iris's moment, really, because the, those are the characters to me. Those are the characters I want to stand on. Right. And And ultimately, you know, we get that little moment, you know, where Barry picks up Nora and he's getting ready to tell her story. And that's that was a very nice way to end it as well but to throw just throw it in there at the end Joe proposing to Cecile it felt like you're giving a huge spotlight to a couple of characters that while they mattered were not you know the upper echelon main characters that you want to focus on so I'm glad that we got that again thrown in there but it felt thrown in you took away that moment if you would have done that a couple of episodes ago somehow some way it would have made a little bit more sense, but you waited until the finale, like the end of the finale to do this. Maybe that's more celebratory moment. I get it. Okay. But again, to me, that should have been Barry and Iris's time and Barry and Iris's time only. And Nora, of course, you got the, cause you've got the baby there and even her birth kind of felt rushed too, honestly. So, and I know that played out over a couple of episodes. So maybe you think I'm wrong there and I understand it, but I, it's not that I didn't like it. I wanted more. And I thought it deserved more. And this show deserved better. It deserved a better exit than it got. But at the same time, overall, I'm still going to love the show. And props to all of the main cast. And even Caitlin coming back, I liked at the end too. I liked that we brought Caitlin back for that last little bit and be able to close that loop between her and Barry and you know get that off of his shoulder. I, that I did like. But I will say... This could have gone better than it did. And that's one of the frustrating things for me. And actually, these last couple of episodes, I thought, could have gone better than they did. And unfortunately, you can't, you know, turn back time. You know, even though we are talking about Barry Allen here, you can't turn back time. I understand they wanted this to end, probably end before the Flash movie came out. Because quite frankly, I don't know how you feel, but Grant Gustin is always going to be my Flash. He's always going to be the Flash to me. No disrespect to anybody that takes this role in the future. 
it's gonna there's these are some huge huge shoes to fill huge shoes and grant gustin to me will always be the flash period i hope that somebody comes along someday that makes me change my mind because that means we will have somebody even that much more epic but until that day comes grant gustin is the flash he is barry allen period End of story. No movie is going to change that. Even if this movie is as epic as everybody says it is, Barry Allen's, Barry Allen's still going to be Grant Gustin to me and vice versa. It's, it's just the way it is. So for now, that's it for The Flash. And this is a show that I'm sure I'll revisit at some point. I'll talk about this in greater length, just you know, my overall thoughts of the the overall arc of the show. At some point, I'll, we'll, we'll unpack that. But for now, this finale could have played out a little bit differently for me, but I also couldn't be happier that we got nine seasons of this incredible show and this incredible cast. And I'm definitely going to miss them. That's going to do it for my spoiler filled review of the flash series finale. I'm still sad even saying that up next going to talk about the third season of iCarly, which is going to be coming to Paramount plus I'll talk to Lacey Mosley who plays Harper and I'll even talk to Jaden triplet who plays Millicent. We'll talk to them next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Fontana, writer for DC Superhero Girls, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could the will they or won't they finally pay off? Season three of the restart, I guess you can call it, of iCarly is going to be streaming on Paramount Plus on June the 1st. I got a chance to catch up with a couple of members of the cast, Lacey Mosley, who plays Harper, and Jaden Triplett, who plays Millicent on the show. So much fun happening in this upcoming season. So let's talk about it. Hey, ladies, how you doing? Good, how are you? Doing very well, thank you. Looking forward to season three. I know that a lot of people are looking forward to season three after last season's finale. There's a bit of a cliffhanger there. We'll get to that in a second, though, because I want to talk about you guys, Lacey and Jen. I want to talk about your characters. What's in store for you guys this season? I think for Millicent, there's definitely a deep dive into what we originally addressed in season one, which was family struggles in the uh, Romeo and Juliet episode, basically with like her mom and Freddie. <laughs> we just kind of do a, another deep dive into that in the third season. I've got to say at this point, I'm really jealous of Harper's dating life because it does not mirror my own in the slightest. So if you see this, help. Um, but, <laughs> but Harper is dating. She's out in the world. Maybe she has some romantic relationships. And then other than that, you're just going to see Harper goofing around and being just silly. And it's it's a great time. Yeah. So the usual. That's good to know. All right. Yes, that's, that's, as per that's, usual. That's, good. that's very good. I did want to ask you, though, Lacey, about Creddy, because we saw the look on Harper's face at the party, and that's th- something I still haven't forgotten since since last season. I loved her face when that whole thing went down. So how much is Harper going to have to help Carly figure this thing out? Because girl needs help. Girl needs help, okay? Always. Never not needs help. And... That is going to stay the same this season, too. I mean, obviously, we see that Harper will pick Carly up off of the couch and put her in the shower where she belongs. <laughs> and you're going to see her hyping Carly up, maybe giving her dating advice, trying to stop her delusions to no avail. And I think it's really fun. But at the end of the day, Harper's going to be down for Carly. So if Carly's down for Freddie, Harper's going to be down for Freddie. If Carly's not, then she won't, you know? I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Well, yes. Jaden, for you, it seems like uh, I love that in this season, one of the things Millicent acqu- describes herself as an acquired taste, which I love. I think that's such a great line from you. She's not quite as mean, though, as she was in season one. I don't think. Do you think she's maturing? Is she softening up a bit? What's going on here? 
I think it's a mixture of everything, both maturing, getting older, and then also like opening up to everything. Um, Because in season one, she was more closed off and, you know, kind of separated herself. And now in season three, she's kind of this evolved young lady. And I'm, I'm really proud of who she's become. Lacey, you talked about that dating life. Fans have been talking too, okay? So for, for a while now, now, and we've seen these subtle teases over the last couple seasons. So I have to ask, is there any chance of Spencer and Harper maybe getting together uh, a little bit? I have seen the sharper hype. Come on, guys. How does that hit the ear? That doesn't hit the ear that well. I mean, you're always going to see Harper and Spencer together having a really good time. And this season is no different from the others. We're going to do some weird stuff together. So even if we don't end up in a romantic situation, you're still going to see us together doing very odd things. <laughs> like, I think shocking things, even for Spencer's character. Like, yeah, wow, that, that says a lot. That's a, yeah. if you say that, then I'm 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 a little scared. I'm a little scared. You should, should be. Yeah. But that, but that's <laughs> we okay. read the script. We were like, oh, oh okay, all no, right. No, it's it's like a good scared, like a roller coaster yeah. or something like that. So yes. no, it's fine. It's so it's fine. The show's kind of been slowly becoming more and more adult. I think with each passing season. So for the, I want the both of you to chime in on this. How well do you do you both think that the show kind of ages up with its audience with each season, and even from the beginning? I feel like if this show was an analogy it would be like those flip books where you start with the kid all young and then it just like it's like some emotional music as they become older i think iCarly did such a great job flip booking it you know what i mean like if you grew up with the show you're gonna feel every point like you're still growing up with the show and yes we get more and more adult it gets more and more raunchy which nathan always gets all like he's like oh no a cursing word do the word earlier but us personally me me jerry we love it we love the innuendo we love the adult feel and i think that we're gonna push that envelope even more for sure how much are we gonna see you push it jade i think that like I said before, like Millicent is just growing up. Like I think when the sh show first started, she was around 11 and now she's probably like 13 now. Mm -hmm. So I think she's just like growing up, going into those preteen like years and just dealing with all of that. No doo-doo words for Millicent though. <laughs> well, that'll have to wait for season four because season three of iCarly premieres on June 1st of Paramount+. Plus. Lacey J, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. <laughs> season four, we let you curse like a sailor. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> And that is one of the fun things for me about this show is how adult that it's starting to get. I mean, we're slowly kind of pushing the envelope more and more, which is making it more fun. But there's still, you know, the classic iCarly hijinks that you love. Plus, if you're invested in these characters and have been over the years, this season will definitely have plenty of things that you're going to love in it for sure. Season three of iCarly streaming on Paramount Plus Thursday, June the 1st. Don't forget, you also have seasons one and two that you can watch right now. And is something going to happen this season between Carly and Freddie? I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. That's going to do it for my chat with Lacey Mosley and Jaden Triplett about iCarly season three from Paramount Plus. Up next, we'll make the jump over to Max and talk about the first couple of episodes of Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. Let's do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Looks like we need to go over the rules once again. That's right, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai, the animated series, is finally premiered on Max. First couple of episodes are out, so I want to give, I don't know that I want to do too many spoilers on this just in case you can get a chance to see because maybe this is one of those things that sort of passed you by and all the craziness that's been this week. So maybe you haven't had a chance to watch the show yet. But in case you're not familiar with it, this is kind of going back to 1920s Shanghai. So we're turning back the clock a little bit. And we're getting kind of into the origin stories of the Mogwai themselves. And yes, Gizmo is in this thing. And he's our main focus of the show as far as the Mogwai is concerned. And you have this family, the Wing family. And Sam, who's the younger of the wing family and his grandfather, you know, kind of get into a little bit of mischief together and they stumble across gizmo and, and granddad knows all about the Mogwai knows how dangerous they are. And he knows some of the rules at least. So we get into this thing where, you know, somebody's trying to get somebody else that also knows about the Mogwai that wants to use them for nefarious purposes, tries to acquire gizmo. And then, you know, that doesn't quite go well and ends up 
with Sam. And at the end of the day, Sam is the one that is given the task of bringing Gizmo back home. They figure he's safer where he belongs back home. You can't have him in in, in the in the city in the world, so you got to bring him back home. And he's actually joined by a thief named L. And I call her a thief. She she's a little bit more than that, but they're the ones that are together supposed to be able supposed to be bringing Gizmo back at least in these first couple of episodes. When you meet L. You, we don't really understand that about her until the second episode. So I guess I should have said there was a little bit of a spoiler there. But that's also in the description of the show before the show even came out. So And it was part of the trailer. So that's not a huge spoiler, I don't think. Plus, her boss was a douchebag. That, that should tell you all you need to know right there. But I will say that before I even get into more of the story or anything like that, this is a beautifully animated series. I really like the animation style that they went with for the show. I thought it was clean. I thought it was crisp. I thought it really brought out Gizmo and I thought it was a really good way to present him and, and the wing family as well. And just the way that this is shot, I think really, really just brings the action out a little bit more, just brings me a little bit more into the story. And there's some magical elements that are a part of this as well. And I don't really want to spoil a whole lot of that just in case you you haven't seen it yet, but the magical elements are really feel felt like it helped bring that out as well. So you know, props to everybody involved for that for making that happen. I thought this was a beautifully animated series. It was a little bit you know jumbled and all over the place story wise in the first couple of episodes. Yeah, I mean a little bit, but I think they also did a good job of setting the stage for what was going to be coming and the fact that you know Sam is like the classic kid that wants a little bit more, right? He's the, he's the kid that wants to explore more of the world. He wants to get out there. He wants to have more adventures than just working in his dad's, in his dad's store, in his dad's restaurant type thing. He wants more than just that, even though he loves his family. So he kind of gets that and more than he even bargained for, because in future episodes, I could tell you they're going to be encountering some crazy and dangerous stuff on their way to trying to bring Gizmo home. And, you know, the rules need to be followed and the rules of the Mogwai, you know, like not feeding them after midnight, not getting them wet, things like that. Those things do play out in this show as well. And how those play out is part of what makes this thing really interesting. But I, I think the voice acting is, is, is good in this show. I think that Ming-Na Wen and James Hong, especially James Hong, I think does a fantastic job in this thing. And B.D. Wong and everybody and, and Isaac Wang, who who plays Sam, does a great job. And Matthew Reese does a good job as well. All the voice cast I thought was chosen very, very well for this. And you'll meet even more of them as the show plays out. But this is one of those that I, I need to give it a little more time. And I, and I feel like you need to maybe think about that as well as you watch these first couple of episodes. Very much setting the stage in these first couple and it's like, okay, here's where we're going, but stay with us on this journey is kind of how it's presented to us anyway. So once you get introduced to these characters and I certainly liked these characters and I thought gizmo was gizmo for the most part. So I don't think that you know, there was a whole lot taken away from him there as well, but you, we're being promised that we're going to get more of this origin. We're going to get more of a journey, more of a quest as it were. Right, so it's almost like, a, okay, we're playing the long game here, so stick with us. So if you enjoyed the characters, you're probably going to want to stick around, and that's what they're betting on. And I just happen to enjoy these characters, so I want to see where this story goes a little bit more. There wasn't a lot of forced humor or anything like that. They didn't make it too kiddish. I didn't feel like it was overly adult either, although I thought there were a couple of creepy things that maybe might be too scary for kids, depending on what your kids can handle, but... I think the Gremlin's Secret of the Mogwai, it's one of those the jury's still out kind of shows for me. Like, I think it could be good. I think it has a lot of potential, and there's still a lot of episodes for that to play out. But also, you don't want to drag your feet too much on a story like this, and you still have to try and find a way to make it fun but make it serious as well. Almost like how Goonies put, you know, gave us almost the perfect formula for something like that you need to follow a similar pattern in how you play your story out to keep things interesting, keep yourself invested in these characters, and not forget that Gizmo was a thing. 
right? We need to still remember that he's a part of this and make him a bigger part of it. So maybe I'll check in with the show in a few more episodes, give you an updated review because I think this show is going to deserve it. Gremlin Secrets of the Mogwai, which is now streaming on Max. That's going to do it for my spoiler race review of the show. Up next, going to give you another interview. Going to talk to Alex Segura, who's the author of a great new Spider-Man book, Aranya and Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow. We'll dive into that with him next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Nobu, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you're looking forward to the Spider-Verse, let me tell you, there's more out there, actually. Aranya and Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow, is available right now from Disney Books and Marvel. And this guy's a name you're definitely going to know, not just from the Spider-Verse, but other stuff as well. Alex Segura. Alex, how you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks so much for having me. So this is, an, I was saying, you're, this isn't your first time entering the Spider-Verse. You were a contributor to Edge of the Spider-Verse for Marvel Comics last year so how much fun is it to tell stories in this world and continue to explore the world beyond peter parker yeah you know that was so wild because i had already turned in the novel at that point i think it had maybe been announced but spider editor nick Lowe reached out and he was like hey would you want to write aranya in the comics so it was a nice bookend because the edge of spider-verse story is very much much kind of re-establishing anya corazon as aranya you know she pivots from the spider girl identity to aranya and the novel is while in a different quote-unquote continuity it really shows you aranya's early days and how she's figuring out how to be a superhero and you know in stark contrast to miguel o'hara spider-man 2099 who has basically given up being spider-man but you know it's it's i grew up on Spider-Man, my first comp superhero comic was a Spider-Man comic, a reprint of an old Stanley Romita story in digest form that my grandparents picked up for me at a grocery store. And so, uh, you know, that's always been my touchstone. Whatever else I'm reading comics-wise, I'm always like at least keeping up with Spider-Man. So it's been nice to see this explosion of spider heroes and characters and just the diversity in, in more than just like identity, just like diversity of content and styles. It's been really fun. It really is, man. And Spider-Man's a strong story on its own, but these are also very visual characters, as you know. So mm -hmm. talk about kind of telling these stories without an artist and having to bring those images to life in those vivid descriptions that you have. Yeah, it's a challenge. I'm not going to lie. I think one of the, the best parts about, about comics is the collaborative side. You, you kind of tee up the artists and then sit back and watch them do these amazing things visually and create, kind of complete your sentences. You're, you're jamming together almost in a musical way. So, and novels are much more internal and you're literally in the heads of these characters. So it was nice in that regard that I got to spend some time in Miguel's head and Anya's, you know, psyche and kind of seeing what, what really drives them beyond like the captions you would see on a comic book. But I took it to be more of like a contract with the reader as opposed to the artist where you're kind of giving the reader enough to visualize the story in their head so i'm not an over describer in my prose like i don't think you need to know like what color shoelaces the person has or you know like it's got to be relevant so i tried to give enough detail so the reader could paint the picture in their mind and then leave it at that so so just so it's an engaged kind of fun page turner i think you definitely did that so you you, no, you thanks. definitely accomplished that for sure <laughs> now, a lot of fans know spider-man 29 and i but not many of them necessarily know aranya so going into the story how much backstory did you actually feel like you needed to provide especially early on for her I was tr really trying to strike a balance between kind of keeping the fans that are familiar with these characters fed and excited and interested in terms of like Easter eggs or nods to the past or, you know, not too much Wikipediaing, I guess, you know, not too much background dumps. But I also knew that this was an opportunity for casual readers or casual fans who have maybe watched the movies and are interested in more Spider-Verse type adventures to come in. So I wove in the history where it was relevant. You know, I didn't I didn't over explain or spend pages and pages giving background on, on what every crossover meant. And I had very specific points in continuity. So if you're like reading it and you're a fan of the comics, you can kind of figure out where these fit in. It is its own continuity, but it's also, if you squint, it fits into what's happened before. There's winks and nods there, which I do yeah. love that you did for sure. What grabbed me though, Alex, was though that vibe-wise and attitude-wise, Aranya is very much a Spider-Man character. She's very much a Spider-Man hero. What's your favorite thing about her? I love how driven she is. I think that you know, most people would fold in her situation where you're given these powers and then left like high and dry. Like, you know, obviously Peter Parker did not have a mentor, but he had a great foundation in, in Uncle Ben and Aunt May and, and was the initial spider hero. But Anya is granted these powers in very unsettling ways. And she has this mentor in Miguel, not Miguel O'Hara, but another Miguel, which was a little 
challenging to write. But her mentor, not to spoil anything, but is disappears or goes away and she's left stranded. And so I, I really admire her ability to kind of just pick herself up and keep going and and learn on the go and not be afraid and not just kind of give up, which I think a lot of people would do in these under these circumstances. Especially at that age too. So yeah, you really brought yeah. that out very, very well. Oh, I, want to go I want to go back to Spider-Man 2099 for, for a minute because he's always been a fan favorite, but not quite to the level of Peter or Miles have been over the years. So with this book and also across the Spider-Verse, which we kind of touched on a few minutes ago, do you feel mm -hmm. like this kind of shines a very well-deserved spotlight on Miguel that he's yet to receive until pretty much right now? Yeah, I think so. It's really a great moment for the character, you know, being such an integral part in the film. And, you know, Marvel Comics are publishing some new great Spider-Man 2099 comics by Steve Orlando and some great artists. But for me, the idea of a Latinx Spider-Man, like actually Spider-Man from the future, was such a game changer as a reader. And as a Cuban-American kid, just seeing, identifying in that way, it felt really important at the time. And in retrospect, still feels important. So to be able to kind of shepherd this, his debut novel, I guess, starring role in a novel and, and at such a cool moment for his history, it was really an honor. And I love the character. I think he's he's such an interesting flip on the classic Spider-Man trope, you know, where he's not glib and, and making jokes as Spider-Man, but actually he's doing it as Miguel and as, as Spider-Man, he's kind of this dark Avenger type. And I, I think there's a lot of tragedy and conflict in him. And, I, it, you know, I think if you're a new reader, you think that the status quo I'm explaining is just new to the novel, but it's actually a very specific point in Spider-Man 2099's continuity that I found particularly fascinating, where he's kind of reeling from these major losses and has just been granted this new role as CEO of Alchemax, which is a very huge megacorp, uh, mm -hmm. which I think we're all familiar with, but that is has its fingers in every aspect of society in the future. And so he was fun to play with. And it was really a my favorite part of the book is the contrast between the two characters and what kind of brings them together to, to then execute the more superhero style adventure. You just kind of led me right in to my next question, actually, Good. because getting these two <laughs> characters together was really fun. And, and but there's it's not just fun, but there's depth there as well. So no spoilers, of course, but mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the common bonds that bring Anya and Miguel together, because I actually thought it was really special. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think that was to me the core of what interested me in the novel. Like, obviously, there's the fun Easter eggs. Like, I'm still amazed that I got to use the villain I got to use. Like, it felt like such a fun deep cut. But also, what really interested me as a writer was the dynamic between this really new superhero and this established more grumpy and basically resigned superhero like it's not a spoiler to say that when you see miguel for the first time he's given up being spider-man and anya is blasted by this ancient artifact en artifacts energy that sends her into the future but the problem is is her powers are on the fritz but her first thought is let me find the spider-man of this time like she knows that there's a spider-man in the future but the spider-man she finds is very different from the peter parker spider-man she's familiar with and i think their journey from opposite ends of the spectrum to coming together and deciding and learning from each other and then going off in their own directions, which doesn't spoil anything. But that to me is the crux of the novel. Like what makes what's what do they gain from each other and how does that change them? No doubt about that. I do want to talk about the villain for a second. I know this is going to be really hard to talk about without <laughs> spoiling anything. But, but how do you go into this, Alex, and kind of give your take on this villain for, for this Dark Tomorrow story? How do you take a villain like the one that you have? And, and give a little bit of your own twist to make it special. You know, I've, you know, we can just say who it is if you don't mind. Like, no, you go, you go. This is yeah, your okay, novel, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the big, the big bad, or at least the big bad one of two is, is Judas Traveler, who, if you're a, a hardcore Spidey fan, you know, was a big player in the early days of the clone saga. Like he shows up at Ravencroft, the, uh, the kind of Arkham type asylum in the Spider-Verse and is, is a big player. And he he's, has ties to the Screers and, and all the other kind of early clone saga people. And I've always been fascinated by the, the character's look and almost invincibility and kind of ability to create illusions and trick you into thinking he he is much more powerful than he really is. It's almost like a mastermind type villain. And I thought his look was really cool, but he hadn't really been used in a while. Like, I think he popped up here and there. So I, I my perspective on him was, and the same with Anya and Miguel, is to use the prime version of the character. Like the iteration that I felt was the most evocative to me as a reader. And that's kind of where my imprint shows. Like I'm most in, I was most interested in talking about Anya's early days, because those are the formative period, the formative times for her. And in Miguel, I was really fascinated by that dark, that dark moment where he's kind of questioning whether he should even be Spider-Man. And for a traveler, it was, you know, what is, what does this all powerful being do if he's like 
basically vamping. He's not really as powerful as he seems, but he wants to awaken this bigger, darker evil to actually tap into that power. So that was interesting to me. And, and kind of throwing them all together felt like a fun, fun adventure. No doubt about that. And credit for you for digging deep for that villain too. That's, that's oh, thanks. Yeah. That's always, that's always fun. That's always fun for me. Now, what do you think the future is for, for a character like Aranya though? Do you have more stories to tell in your head? Could you see more of her in the comics as well coming up in the future? Is this just the beginning for her? I think she's always in play. I think she's such a big part of the Spider-Verse and I think hopefully we'll see more of her. I have a ton of stories I would tell with the character. I, I would love to write more Miguel stories. I have really loved those characters. And I, and I think the novel definitely without spoiling anything teased things up where there could be more after that. That's why I asked. So that's the fingers crossed that that's going to be the case. Yeah. Before, before I let you go, Alex, you've written some incredible stories and characters in your career. You, you know, the spider verse, you talk about the Poe Dameron books that you did for star in the star Wars universe. Is there a character you still haven't checked off that list yet in your mind? Like I got to write this character at some point. Huh. Yeah. I mean, there's always, there's a bunch. I mean, I love the X-Men. I love Daredevil. I love Batman. I like, I'm a big Trek guy. I, I mean, I love Star Wars, but there's obviously different eras of Star Wars. Like I love Obi-Wan. I think he's a really fascinating character. I think there's a great YA novel in there somewhere. Yeah. And obviously Peter Parker, the prime Spider-Man as well is a favorite of mine, just like basically obsessed with his entire story. So yeah, there's always, you know, and I got the chance to write a question story for DC, which was a thrill. So, you know, you just, Keep doing what you're doing and hope that you get these opportunities and be grateful for them. If we can tee Alex up for an Obi-Wan story, that'd be great <laughs> for anybody that happens to be listening that can make that happen. Let's let's do that because I'd be on board for that for sure. Right yeah. now, you, you got to check out Aranya and Spider-Man 29 Dark Tomorrow, which is available now wherever books are sold from Marvel and Disney books. Pick this one up. You're going to love it. This guy, Alex Segura, thank you so much, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This was fun. And Aranya really is a character that if you're not familiar with her yet, this is a great novel to get you familiar with her. And you see the cover of this book. The character design is so cool. But her story is really where things will make you love her, make it fun, make it interesting. And then you throw Miguel into the mix. And like he was saying, like Alex was saying, the contrast between the two of them and how they come together really makes this novel a lot of fun. This is on the upper end of YA. I think as an adult, you could certainly enjoy this as well, especially if you're a Spider-Verse fan in general. And this is just a good way to like pregame yourself for Across the Spider-Verse. So make sure you're getting Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow. Wherever books are sold, you can get the audiobook too, Audible. You can get it on there as well and even listen to it and read it. So you get the best of both worlds there, which you could do. Again, thanks to Alex Zagura for joining me to talk about this new Spider-Man book. Up next, there are a couple of nerd news nuggets to get to, and I'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Addy Shankar, and I'm on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Skynet might be active once again. It is time for nerd news. And yes, another Terminator movie could actually be happening. We kind of got winks and nods at that. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I'm not done with the franchise before. So, you know, we knew this could be coming. But James Cameron was speaking at the Dell Tech World because where else will we get our nerd news from? But from the Dell Tech World crowd. Apparently, he says that he's started writing the next Terminator movie. But he wants to see how this whole AI thing shakes out before he goes any further. And and this is one of the few times I've actually wanted the AI to win. And the reason I say that is because I, I'm done. I think that I, I've been done with Terminator movies for a while now. I don't think they've had a good one in a while. I mean, you could, you could argue that the last one was good. The last one that Arnold was in was good. But at the same time, these aren't really making that much money anymore. This is a franchise that's it's been done. You know, the whole Skynet thing, you know, the, the jokes always, oh, Skynet's real. But you see that all the time on social media now. Well, that's part of the problem is that we're kind of living it now. So we don't need to re-experience it or, or be scared about it in these movies anymore because it's already happening. Now, you know, part of this, I get it. It's the cool action stuff with Arnold and the, and, and the crew. And, you know, there's been some good action scenes. These movies seem to just, they're not finding a way to take hold with audiences anymore. And that's okay because, you know, that should open the door for new stuff. And how many times do I have to say this before it actually starts happening? And that is that we kind of need some fresh life. We need something fresh in the world of entertainment. You know, all stuff's always going to be similar because almost everything's been done already. I understand that. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be winks and nods to certain things, but do we need to keep making Terminator movies just because they're going to make 13 Fast and Furious movies 
does not mean that we need to make a ton of Terminator movies or anything else for that matter. So I'm, I'm done with this. Honestly, I really kind of hope they decide not to make another movie. I know James Cameron thinks he could just puff out his chest and print money. That's just not how it works, James. Not anymore. So, you know, make your Avatar movies. Take your focus off of these Terminator movies because I'm not sure that we need another one. Maybe you yell at me and think, tell me that I'm wrong. But, you know, just from my perspective, I don't see these making a whole lot of money in the future. So I don't see why you would just go ahead and do it just to do it. Now, we know that Harrison Ford is done with Indiana Jones, but does that mean that after Dial of Destiny, the franchise is going to be done? Well, Kathleen Kennedy was recently on the Dagobah Dispatch podcast, and she was talking about the future of the Indiana Jones franchise, and she kind of said, and I want to read this direct quote, she said, I mean, truthfully, right now, if we were to do anything, it might be in series television down the road, but we're not doing anything to replace Indiana Jones, this is it. And this is the smart approach, honestly. Kathleen Kennedy takes a lot of heat, but I'll tell you this right now. This is smart. If I would like to see some sort of an Indiana Jones series, I think that would be really cool. And I know I just got done saying that we don't need to keep making these franchises. Look, Terminator tried their series and it didn't work, okay? So I I don't want to hear it. Indiana Jones had, you know, we had young Indiana Jones. We did do that for a little bit, but I could see that this, this series living on in some way in a series at some point, like a Disney Plus series. I could see that, you know, depending on how this last movie shakes out and what kind of characters we introduce and things like that. Man, if Shia LaBeouf didn't lose his mind, where would this franchise be right now? Because he, he might have been, you know, the successor in all of this. And who knows if Dial of Destiny would have even been a thing. So, you know, that's, you know, revisionist history sort of thing. But at the same time, I think that's a fun thing to to think about. But you go back and and you think about what this franchise could have been in general. And I think a series could really work down the line. And I do think that they'll give it a little bit of time before they decide to do anything. But I think that even if this movie's bad, okay, and it very well could be bad, even if it's bad, I could see them making some sort of an Indiana Jones series and making it fun. A long-form storytelling Indiana Jones series I think could be neat depending on who they cast. And obviously, I think Harrison Ford, he's definitely done. And I don't think we'll see him back as Dr. Jones, Indiana Jones, or any other iteration. I think he's done, done. So, you know, would this be a family succession type thing? Would it be like a, like, you know, somebody that he was, that was his protege sort of thing? Or would they go something somewhere different entirely? As long as they don't reboot it. I don't think we need to reboot it at all. I think we need to keep things within the franchise, but at the same time, find a way to continue the story in a different way. Even if you wanted to modernize it a little bit, I think that that could be pretty cool. I want to talk about a couple of trailers real quick, and this one I was really excited for. You know, I've been excited for the Skull, the Skull Island series coming to Netflix. Now we know that's going to be on June the 22nd. This from Netflix and Legendary Television with the amazing powerhouse animation studios doing this. They did Castlevania and so many of the other things that we love and they're going to be doing this series as well. And yeah, this is about another group of explorers that, you know, hits the skids and finds themselves on Skull Island. And you see in this trailer all of the different creatures that we're going to be encountering. We, we do get to see a Kong. Is it is it the Kong or is it just a Kong? We, we, we don't know that right now. But we do get to see a Kong in this trailer as well. But I'll tell you what, there's if there's one thing, and they do a lot of stuff right, but if there's one thing that Powerhouse Animation Studios does very right, it is creating creatures and bring him to life on the screen because, my goodness, there's some terrifying stuff that we see in this trailer. And you want to talk about action. This is going to have plenty of action. This is one of those ones, truly, where the story doesn't necessarily matter as much as the monsters do and just the, the action sequences in this thing. But again, I'm sure that they will find a way to make this make sense story-wise. Nicholas Contu is going to be in this. Mae Whitman's going to be a part of this cast as well. Darren Bennett. And so many of Benjamin Bratt is going to be playing Cap in this thing. Not, not Captain America, but, you know, just Cap. There's, so there's a good cast to follow up with this thing, too. So I'm excited for the Skull Island series, even more than I was before. You can find it, You can find the trailer, by the way, at downandnerdypodcast.com. If you haven't gotten a chance to see that, you can check it out yet. You can check it out on there. One more trailer I wanted to talk about was the Strange New World Season 2 trailer coming to Paramount Plus. That is going to be on June the 15th when Strange New Worlds comes back for a second season. And this show is doing exactly what it should be doing. And that's exploring different parts 
of the Star Trek universe, taking us places that we haven't gone before. And we've got Captain Pike back, played by Anton Mount. We've got Number One back, played by Rebecca Romaine. Ethan Peck is back as Spock. Speaking of Peck, did we see a little something going on there in that trailer between him and the nurse? Is that did did I see that correctly? Did I see a little possible Star Trek hookup going on there between Spock? And Nurse Chapel, because that's what it looked like to me. We even saw the Spock like drinking at one point. So I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, Spock heavy on this in the trailer. But at the same time, I think I think that that's, you know, not necessarily a terrible thing. But it just again, I want this thing to continue to do exactly what it did last season. Take us to the outer reaches of the Star Trek universe, someplace we haven't been before, haven't been a lot. Now there's still going to be, you know, we're still going to be talking about. You know, certain very familiar Star Trek enemies. I'm not sure I can tell you who that is yet. So I'm going to play it on the safe side and not tell you who. But we're, we're still going to see some familiarity there. But this this series taking us where, you know, the, taking the whole boldly go thing and amplifying it, I think has been why one of the reasons that I've loved it so much. And I can't wait to see where the second season is going to go starting on June 15th on Paramount+. Plus. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my many guests coming on this week. You can find out more information on us at downandnerdypodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Really appreciate you subscribing, dropping reviews, and all that stuff on there really means a lot. Also, make sure... You're following on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. Follow us everywhere because doing different stuff here and there in different places. And always remember one thing you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.